cortisol levels go up and that's a problem and that's when we start to make poor decisions and when we start feeling overwhelmed that's feeling of anxiety and depression it starts with being mindful first and then we can start to make better decisions but as soon as people are mindful of of what triggers them then it's an easier job from there every day try and do something that is intentional where you actively moving is i think it takes a while for people to acknowledge the fact that when it comes to health and wellness it's like any skill set and i don't think everyone picks it up and not everyone's intentional about it so i think there's definitely your food choices will definitely have an impact on the clarity that you have in your thinking as well without a doubt so welcome uh, my name is Tom this is love your stress podcast today we have a guest Brad and we're going to talk about stress uh, in terms of food and nutrition and before we start i would love to ask one of the first questions Brad how would you like to be remembered what do you would like to be remembered for oh that's a very very good question there that's a very good question tom i think i like to be remembered as someone that is uh caring empathetic and thoughtful that's how i like to be remembered i think uh in my line of work for the last 10 years i um i'm very giving of my time uh and i've always put others first in terms of the health and wellness so i think if i have to put it down to one thing I would say I would like to be remembered or be known as someone that it has a positive impact on people's lives. I hope I'm saying like that. Yeah, is there any specific impact you want to make like in the area of life or something like uh, some specific impact you want to be remembered for? Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. I think uh you know where I come from in terms of where I work is that ultimately I want to try and help people live healthier happier lives um you know health and wellness is a space that I've been in the last decade it's something I've always been highly passionate about so when I work with my clients ultimately that is the goal so we try and look at uh the big picture which I like to refer to as deep health so we like to look at the big picture so you know it's not only about the aesthetics of what people look like but it's you know mind body and soul as well so you know if people want to look aesthetically pleasing to themselves and to others that's fair enough that's one thing but we need to have a big holistic approach and i know the word holistic gets overused to some degree but um i do like the big picture approach i love how you avoid the, the caveats of uh, overused word of uh, holistic uh, health holistic picture mm. and instead of use something that everyone understands quite easily deep health mm. that encompasses uh, everything uh, looks the health the mm. physical mental uh, i really love that just completely go to the deep health okay easy to understand simple no harder to miss miss interpret what do you say well i'm glad you add that tom it's it's something i have thought about in the past as well and i think you're quite right that word holistic does get thrown around um and what is it and i suppose if you, if you google that you could probably find it but what does it actually mean holistic as a big word you know um and i always like to think that you know these pillars in life we have pillars and our lives don't work in silos and i think people try and work themselves in silos and i often try and communicate and i still work in the health and fitness space um within a gym environment and i often see people putting a huge amount of emphasis on the training aspect so yes fair enough that's one silo you know purposeful movement is one silo uh you know sleep stress 
those are all silos as well. You know, relationships with your, with your supportive community or within your family, those are also silos. But invariably what we do is we put all our eggs into one basket. So what we'll do is we'll, some people will train, they'll consistently go to the gym five times a week, but they won't put any emphasis on their sleep management. They won't put any emphasis on how much water they drink. They won't put any emphasis on their stress management. So when, I, when we look at the time of deep health approach, we're really looking at, fair enough, purposeful movement, that's one pillar. We've got to do that one. We still need to manage our stress. We still need to manage our water. We still need to manage our food. We still need to manage our relationships. We still need to manage our existential thinking, our mindset, our you know vision, our identity that we see for ourselves. So the deep health thing I really believe is, is encompassing the whole body. So... I'm glad you hit that point there, Tom. Mm. Love it. And uh, I really also like the idea how you mentioned about uh, purposeful movements. And I've seen it uh, from so many angles because, yes, you can go to the gym, you can do all kinds of exercises, but the quality you get after, out of it will be dependent on type of movements you said. And I really like how you mentioned the purposeful movements. Would you like to talk about that? What do you mean by purposeful movements in your line of work? Yeah, so Thomas, purposeful movement is, is movement with intention. Um, and I think, uh, you know, really purposeful movement is any kind of movement. And I think, you know, I always try and preach to people is that you must have the always something mentality. And what I mean by the always something mentality is that, you know, not every week is going to be the same for most people. You know, we have, you know, you know, balancing areas of our lives. We've got kids, we've got careers, we've got work, we've got meetings, we've got traffic, we've got all sickness, we've got all kinds of things that we're trying to balance. So, yes, fair enough, you can commit yourself to, let's say, three times within the week. You know, you go and train for the gym for three times in the week or four or five, whatever it is. But sometimes that may not be possible. Sometimes, you know, something might happen and you're not able to do it. But what you can do is when you come home, you can still put a pair of shoes on and you can still go for a walk for 10 minutes. Um, so the always something mindset, the always that's related to purposeful movement. So in every day, try and do something that is intentional where you're actively moving. Um, and that kind of, that, that's, you know, we always talk about consistency and that will ultimately hold the consistency in what you're doing as well. Um, you know, if you just do something is better than doing absolutely nothing, you know, a walk, it could be, you know, yoga. I know you talk about yoga and you talk about meditation and so forth and all those things, you know, you could do something like that. You could do a, a, a five minute, uh, you know, stretch, for example. So always something with purposeful movements. I'm curious uh, about the aspect you said, intentional purposeful movement and mindset. Uh, how much do you see the idea of having this intention and purpose uh, to sticking to intention uh, sticking to the habit consistently like do you see a link there and if you see it uh, how do you see it reflecting you know people actually doing things um Tom's I think I think it's it takes a while for people to wrap their heads around and I think I'll use the health and fitness space to kind of get their point across is, and I'm going to use people in a training environment because I've, I've coached within a CrossFit gym for many years and I own a CrossFit gym. So I've seen, I've coached people in terms of their movement. And I find when people walk into a gym, and I hope this answers your question, you can just stop me if it doesn't, but when people walk into a gym is I, I sometimes feel people go to the gym 
to simply go and exercise, okay? And I, I think that's, that's a, a very, very noble thing to do, to go and exercise in the gym. That's 100%, that's perfect. But I think what's important is that when you go to the gym, is that you're intentional as to what you're going to do there. And I always like to think of it as that people aren't going to CrossFit training or whatever you're going to the gym, you're going to pump iron or whatever you're going to go and do, is you're going there to practice. And the intention is to practice. And when you have the intention to practice things, that's how you improve. Um, and you only if you see it as practice. You know, we all look at the, everything that we do in life is practicing a skill set. And I like to refer as, as exercise or nutrition for that matter, as much like learning a musical instrument. Okay, if you walked into my house and I gave you a guitar, let's hope you don't know how to play guitar. And I gave you a guitar and I said, Tom's, I want you to play me a guitar, uh, play me a song. The likelihood of you being able to just take the guitar and play a song. Can you play? Can you play a guitar, Tom's? Yeah, no. <laughs> well, there we go. You know, so you come into my house and I give you a guitar and I say, play me a song. The likelihood of you, of you being able to play a song is very, very unlikely. And but if you went to lessons and you had the intention of actually practicing, you know, this week you learned this skill, the next week you learned this skill, next week you learned that. Think of it as a habit, is that you're building the habit and you're stacking it and you're just slowly progressing with your skill set. Nutrition, exercise, it's exactly the same. Is from a nutrition perspective, is that you're just trying to make improvements. You're trying to learn one thing at a time and slowly learn how to do this stuff over time. You know, you're learning what a protein is and how much calories in a protein and, and you know how much protein should you be eating and how much carbs should you be eating and uh, meal timing and, and when should you put it around exercise, all these lots of little things. And the same thing applies for, you know, water consumption and stress management and all the other things when it comes to health and wellness is it's just the process of learning a habit and learning a skill through practice. So the point that you're trying to make there, and I'll just, you know, go back to the exercise point is I think it takes a while for people to acknowledge the fact that, when it comes to health and wellness, it's like any skill set. And I don't think everyone picks it up and not everyone's intentional about it. Um, and I often see people exercising in a gym where they're not, they're not doing it to learn that as a skill and to become autonomous. They're ultimately just going to keep on coming back to the gym and having someone coach them the whole time. And I think that's, it's an important thing to acknowledge the fact that you need to be intentional about the skill set that you're learning so that you can ultimately do it on your own. I hope that answers your question. I know we went around the bush on that one. That's a pretty good answer. Uh, and I agree with the same intention that uh, coaching is not to be meant as a crutch uh, for people always coming back to you. Uh, it's, uh, and I agree with the idea that uh, setting intention makes it more uh, mindful and deeper experience, uh, you learn the skill faster, and therefore you're able to basically coach yourself at some point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think you you hit, you hit the right tone with that. Like, coaching isn't meant to be a crux. Um, and and it's all about autonomy. You know, if you work with a with a with a coach, whatever it is, is that coach is going to teach you the skills so that you can do it on your own. You stay because you want to. Um, but ultimately, you should have the skill set to go and do that stuff on your own. And I think accountability counts for a lot. I think ultimately, people like to have someone to hold them accountable to certain things, without a doubt, even when they know what they need to be doing. 
So much in your work, uh, you do actually the skill training and accountability, your ideal type of person. Uh, just repeat that question there, Tom. So the idea that you just mentioned the idea between accountability and uh, learning, uh, teaching people to learn the skill. And you said that uh, sometimes people come just for accountability. So how do you see the healthy balance between these two? Um, I, th I think for a lot of people, Tom's, and that's a great question. I think for a lot of people, I think, um, and I, I'll even use myself, for example, is that from a, from a business standpoint, I've always, you know, consulted on uh, business coaches for guidance and support and accountability as well. And I think that there's, there's, it definitely plays a part, whether it's public accountability or whether it's coach accountability, I think both help. Um, I think it, when people put themselves out there, and I'll use an example, if someone decided that they were going to run uh, a marathon, for example, and they put it out in the public space, and they said, hey, everybody, all my Facebook friends, I am going to run a marathon in the next 12 weeks. Okay, so they put it out, public accountability, which I think is great. And then they, maybe they consulted on a coach, you know, a running coach, and they put it out to the coach, say, listen, coach, this is what I've committed. I've put it out into the, into the world wide web and into the, into the universe. I want to commit for 12 weeks. I want to run this marathon. And I think ultimately, I think the combination of having public accountability plus coach accountability is a handy thing to have. Um, you know, that structure that the coach will provide you and obviously having the accountability of someone to be able to check in and support you and obviously give you a little bit of encouragement as well. Um, it's handy, you know, people can do it on their own for sure. They can do it on their own, 100%. But it's, help, it's helpful to have someone in your corner to kind of guide you through the process and, and certainly when the tough gets going as well. Yeah, definitely the accountability comes in strong, especially when you're feeling low, especially when you feel stressed. And I feel that's a good place to, uh, to shift gears a bit and ask one of my favorite questions to my guests is, how do you define stress in your own words? How would I define stress? Yeah. Um, stress would be would be a, a feeling of being overwhelmed due to the tasks that you have at hand. Um, and I think I think we have different kinds of stress. Um, there's you get two types. You get you get a use stress and then you get distress. And use stress is kind of like the good stress that we have exposure to. And then distress is stress that we feel like we can't manage it. Um, I, did a, I did a presentation a while back about how, you know, stress works on, let's say, if you look at a curve, right? So if you've got, if you think of someone's career path or their careers, you've got, um, I'm just trying to think of the linear lines here. So let's say, for example, you've got your level of stress, which should be going up. And then you've got your, I can't remember underneath it was time, but essentially it's a bell curve. Um, and how that bell curve works is if you've got a job that it doesn't require a lot of attention from you, so you're not stimulated in that job, um, and there's no stress in it, the, you know, some people might not feel like they're right for their job because maybe they don't feel stimulated enough. But when you add a little bit of pressure on it, when you add a little bit of stress onto that, it allows them to feel like they're getting something done, there's some enjoyment, there's a challenge and so forth. But if you add a whole pile of stress on top of that, like a whole pile, like you're stressed out, you just got too much work, 
that's too much stress. And that's where distress comes in. So you stress is a good, good amount of stress. Everybody needs to have it. I mean, you go to the gym and you train and you exercise. That's a form of stress. Okay. It's good stress. It stresses you out. You feel great afterwards. Um, but unfortunately, when you've got the bad stress, that's not a good thing because then it's, you know, cortisol levels go up um, and that's a problem. And that's when we start to make poor decisions and when we start feeling overwhelmed. That's when there's you know, the feeling of anxiety and depression, whatever that comes into play. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a fine balance of how much stress people are exposed to. Pressure is a privilege to some degree. Mm. Yeah, definitely I've seen uh, how stress uh, affects uh, the decision-making. And um, regarding that, uh, before the conversation, you mentioned how it affects decision-making, especially for the nutrition, for the food choices. Uh, how do you avoid that? What do you teach your clients how to keep those good food choices, especially when you feel under a heavy load of stress? Yes. Yes, I, I think um, I think sometimes these things happen without us knowing it consciously, um, and we often do a, like kind of a, a behavior awareness in order for us to work out what happened half an hour prior, an hour prior, a week prior, maybe even a month prior, because we make decisions based on something that happened prior to making that particular decision. Um, as a good example for this, let's say someone's driving on the home, they're going home from work and they had a bad day at the office, maybe their boss laid into them, maybe a project didn't go according to plan and they're driving and then they see the petrol station and they go and they drive straight into the petrol station and they go inside the shop and then while they're in the shop, they go and grab themselves maybe a chocolate, maybe they buy themselves a Coke. But they don't realize that that decision was probably made because of the stress they had prior. So we look at these triggers. So people are triggered by certain things. Um, and, and when I say, you know, whether it comes from a couple of hours beforehand, you know, a lot of parents, I use parents, for example, parents maybe come home and they open up a bottle of wine after the hectic day at work. Um, or, you know, they have a glass of wine because their kids have been crazy. So that's just a form of relaxation or they're trying to de-stress themselves or kind of uh, deload for the day. Um, but what are the triggers that happen prior to that that ultimately lead us to making that? And I think that's what we try and do here is once we identify what the problem is, whether it's work-related something or if it's stress-related within the work environment or whether it's a school environment or parenting or whether it's in a friendship circle or your spouse, as soon as we can identify what the problem is, then we can simply pause and reflect and then we can start to make better decisions. So I think it starts with being mindful first and then we can start to make better decisions. But as soon as people are mindful of, of what triggers them, then it's an easier job from there. Yeah, I really love the idea about mindfulness. One of my favorite months is be present. And... Uh... It's all uh, fine and dandy to connect the things that happened today, a couple of hours ago. But you mentioned that, uh, that it also could be one month before. I'm curious, do you have any example to see how something that happened one month before or like really long term? Uh, because people, it's kind of, I, I can imagine, uh, it's kind of hard to connect the dots when it's so a long time before that that could have a huge impact on the decision I made today. So do you have any example of that? Tom's, I, I can. I think that's, that's a really, really, really good question. 
Um, and I, I wanted to relate it to something any, you know, people eat for different reasons. Um, it's easy to look at someone that might be overweight, uh, who doesn't you know, eat healthy for a particular reason and just go, you know, it's a simple, you know, just eat less and move more. It's that simple. But sometimes people don't know what's happened to that person's life. So there could have been a particular trauma. There could be something in that person's life that has impacted them in terms of how they eat and what they eat. Um, and that could, be, that could be a childhood thing. Maybe they grew up in a household when there was a food issue or whatever it happened in their life. Um, and I, I've actually got a, a little story. There's an there's a, there's a author, he wrote a book. It's called, uh, he's, he runs a thing called The Resilience Project. And uh, he's an Australian guy. And in his book, it's called, it's called The Resilience Project. In his book, he talks about, and it, was, it wasn't the main subject within the book, but this is what I took out of that book. He talks about, um, and I could just maybe pull the author up here as well, just afterwards. But in his book, he talks about the experience of his sister. And uh, the whole book is about building resilience. And he talks about the, he talks about his sister at the beginning of the book and how she had, you know, she had this eating disorder as a young age. And it went up as she grew older, like into her teens and into her twenties and so forth, that she had this eating disorder. But that eating disorder was related to a childhood incident that she had. Now, that wasn't, that wasn't the crux of the book. But what I took out of the book is that people eat for different reasons. So people have got eating disorders. So yeah, we've been eating disorder based on something that happened previously in their life. And that's kind of an extreme example. But, you know, whatever baggage within people, whatever trauma that's sitting in their shoulders can also create a stress in their head as well. Um, and that's the internal dialogue what happens as well. So not only that, doesn't it only have to be external stress that we're exposed to, we can also have internal stress within our heads. Um, and that can sometimes lead us to making certain decisions. You know, if you've got negative mindsets uh, or a fixed mindset, that can also lead you to making, I would say, unfavorable choices as opposed to poor decisions. So if you had to relate it back to, let's say, a month prior or a couple of years prior, there could be something, an impactful situation in your life um, that leads you to making decisions. Maybe it's a loss in the family. Maybe you lose your father. Maybe you lose a sibling. And that leads you. You can see people that, you know, that start drinking after they lose a loved one, for example, you know, to kind of find a way out. So that would be an example of that. I really love how you link together the with a trauma, some impactful event in a life that uh, could not have a immediate uh, impact in a physical life, like where you said the uh, weight uh, weight gain. It could take mm -hmm. uh, over time a uh, link of bad habits. So you don't see the impact immediately. So that's actually quite an uh, interesting point because I've also noticed many times in my own life that uh, you change some small thing in your life uh, and immediately there is no immediate feedback that you're doing something wrong. And only over a couple of weeks, couple of months, you see that it's either positively or negatively impact the health and, uh, or any other aspect of life, like relationships, decision-making. And I really like that uh, explanation because it could be any anything like trauma, some, something simple, but also could be, uh, as I said, uh, someone said you something and you adaptive limiting belief. Mm, mm. it's amazing and you make a very valid point there is that it doesn't have to be something big you know we all we, everyone's an individual and we all make 
decisions individually based on who we are. Um, so how we impact, how we make decisions based, you know, you might be a little bit more resilient to some degree. Maybe you've had a different upbringing. Maybe I'm a little bit on the, the sensitive side. So how you deal with an incident is a little bit different to mine. That's why humans need to be looked at as unique individuals and you can't use a cut and paste uh, system for everybody. It needs to be adjustable for everybody because we're unique. You know, everyone's, everyone's different. And one thing more that I've noticed in many people is that a person might be really resilient and good in the health uh, most of the time until something triggers them uh, some, some, uh, in other area of life when they feel a bit more insecure and then uh, kind of everything goes out of the window and this, uh, as soon as you deal with that external, seemingly external problem, everything seems to come back and I always find it fascinating. Do you find similar experience? Yeah, would you, would you say it would be, you know, someone that manages their health and wellness quite well uh, when things are going right there, but maybe they're not so good at, let's say, he has, he has a good example is that we, we often have, um, he, has, he has an example, let's, let's say someone that doesn't enjoy public speaking. Um, have you noticed that, that, you know, and I, I think even for myself is that when you, when you're just about to go out and, and, and speak, you know, maybe, maybe now you need the toilet, you know, you need to go to the toilet now. I need to, I'm nervous. I need to go to the toilet. Um, so the, the, the connection between your, between your brain and, and your body and your gut, that's where that, that, you know, that kind of gut feeling comes from. Uh, they definitely work together. So, you know, like you could have someone that might want to go and, you know, go and do some public speaking, but they get nervous in their body and they'll make a decision based on their food before they go onto the stage, you know? Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely a connection between um, how certain people manage different things without a doubt. I really love how you mentioned the connection between the brain and gut. And sometimes I've heard even this, people going as far as saying that the gut is the second brain. Mm. And uh, would you agree to that? And then there's a bit of a tricky question regarding that. Who do you think, uh, what is stronger, your brain or gut, uh, brain brain or gut brain? Yeah. So how do you say, where, where should you start? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. It's, um, I think there's definitely a correlation between the gut brain. Um, that's where it comes from. And uh, I'm just, uh, just trying to think of some stats here. Um, there's definitely a correlation between the two, without a doubt. I think in many instances, you make, you make the point about, you know, what should you trust more? Should you trust your guts more or should you trust your brain more? Um, and I, I, think that's, I think there's a lot to be taking out of that. I think, you know, in many instances, I think we have a gut feeling where we know what's wrong and what's right. Um, and I think that's intuition. That's our basically built-in intuition. I think that's an important thing that we need to read into. Um, obviously, from an analytical perspective, we still need to think about it. But um, I think there's a lot to be said for making a decision based on your gut in terms of how you read situations, without a doubt. Um, I would also say that there's a, there's a correlation between the food we eat and how it impacts our thinking. Um, 
So, you know, how the food goes into your body, how it goes to the guts, how it's absorbed in the body. Um, and ultimately, that will help you, obviously, have either a fuzzy brain or a clearer brain. I mean, the food we eat definitely has a correlation on how it affects our guts into our brain as well. Without a doubt. That's a great question, Thompson. Mm. And just to dive slightly a bit deeper, you said it's a good idea to follow the gut feeling. How would the gut feeling change if you eat crappy food? Would it kind of uh, make the gut feeling completely out of the window as well? Um, Tom, I think, I think obviously this, this will work for different people. I think we're not all built the same. Um, I think some people are, are, are capable to eat certain things that other people can't eat. Um, but I think to some degree, you know, people that eat, and this, this is my instance, in my case, that if I eat certain foods, then I don't quite have the same mental clarity um, than I would if I was eating, you know, a cleaner diet. You know, if you put a huge amount of sugar in someone's diet, um, they might not think as clearly. Maybe their cognitive thinking isn't as smooth as what it would be if they were eating a cleaner diet. Um, so I think there's definitely your food choices will definitely have an impact on the clarity that you have in your thinking as well, without a doubt. Um, a good example is that if you know if you're eating less food, if you're very hungry, I think that's also going to have an impact. Um, there's a fair amount of studies on dehydration and how that impacts your thinking. Um, so I think I think it's an under people overlook the importance of food and and hydration when it comes to their brain and mental clarity and concentration and performance and cognitive ability. Um, it's definitely an overlooked thing. I think people overlook it. Hmm. You mentioned the clean diet and I know from my experience uh, when under stress, I tend to conveniently forget what the clean diet is. So I believe it's a good always to remind from different angles and different ways what a clean diet is. So would you like to have like a quick rundown, rundown of what do's and don'ts of the clean uh, diet? Um, yeah, Tom's, I think, I think we live in a modern day society. So I think, you know, we can, we can all kind of follow the, you know, I've always been a, a firm believer of following kind of like a paleolithic diet. And I know there's a thousand million diets and everyone's in a different camp these days. I think uh, nutrition is almost like a new religion. Whereas if you're either in the keto camp or you're the carnival camp or you're vegetarian and everyone believes in their style of eating. But I think, you know, I've always believed in the, the agnostic approach to nutrition. I think that, you know, everyone has different needs. Everyone has different wants. Not some people, maybe just, they don't want to eat meat for X, Y, and Z reason. They want to eat vegetarian. That's fine. That's all good. Um, but I think to go back to your question regarding the clean diet, and I think when I said it's a modern world is that, you know, we get exposed to things. I think, you know, if you eat, you, if you can always try and make things fit the plan. Um, and, you know, 80% of the time, 90% of the diet time, if you're eating, you know, lean sources of protein, you're eating uh, good uh, hearty sources of vegetables, you're eating your healthy fats, you're eating good clean carbohydrates, uh, you know, not refined stuff then I think you, you've got a good approach to yourself. Yes, fair enough, you might eat X, Y, and Z here and there. Um, that's life and that can still fit the plan. Um, but I think when it comes to a clean diet, and I don't want to use the word clean because what does it actually mean? I think you made a good point there. But I think when you're looking 
a whole food diet would always be the best option for you. You're always going to perform the best on a whole food diet, stuff that comes straight from nature. Uh, fair enough, you'll eat the processed stuff here and there because it, sometimes it's convenient for you or if it just kind of fits the day or fits the time, it's fine. You're not going to die uh, as long as it's mostly whole foods. Mm. And uh, when it comes to the whole foods and uh, this kind of diets, what's your take on uh, supplements and all the protein powders, all these things that uh, may assist you? Great question, Toms. It's a very, very good question. I think uh, we call them supplements is because we meant to supplement them in our diet. That's kind of like to bolt on on the back of it. Um, and I always believe like if someone came to me and said, no, what supplements must I take? And then if I asked the question of like, what does your nutrition look like? Um, and if I always believe that you've got bigger fish to fry, like if your diet is atrocious, if you don't sleep enough hours, if you don't drink enough water, if you're not managing your stress, then no amount of supplementation is going to help you, irrespective of what supplementation you take. And I think your first port of call should be fixing the stuff that is uh, right around you. You know, fix what's in your, your pantry, fix what's in your cupboard, fix what you're putting in your mouth first in terms of your food. Um, you know, get X amount of hours, the right amount of hours, you know, whatever it's seven to nine hours per night, depending on which cut, what type of individual you are, uh, making sure you hydrating, getting enough water in your body, not over consuming on coffee. Um, and then we can look at supplementation. I think that's just kind of on the bolt in on the end. I think things like protein supplements, I think can be a convenient way of getting protein in your body as a supplement. So I think I'm, I believe in, in having a protein shake if it fits your needs. Um, it's very practical, it's very convenient, it's very easy to get protein in and lean source of protein. Um, and I must say most people that I work with, um, whether they're looking to put on muscle, whether they're looking to lose weight, most people that I work with actually under eat on protein. So if I think there was one supplement that you are going to have, it's probably going to be uh, a whey protein or a vegan protein. Um, there's obviously supplements that if you went to go and do some blood tests, you know, things like vitamin D, uh, your zinc, magnesium, I think those are crucial as well in your body. So if you are low on those, you probably go to the doctor and get them tested and then you can supplement with those. Um, but for the most part, a good healthy diet should be the best, the starting point for that. But supplements, I think it's a bit, you can overspend on supplements, you know, get a supplement for this, get a supplement for that, supplement for this. Next one, if you're taking 10 pills in the morning, one for this, one for that, one for that. So, yeah, great question, Toms. Great question. Yeah, and I really love how you linked um, supplements with stress and lifestyle, sleep and everything. And if I understood you correctly, uh, I would agree with you on this point, is that uh, it's good to take supplements as long as you don't use it as a crutch to not deal with the actual root cause of why, it's, why you actually need them. Like if you have lack of uh, sleep or you have too much stress and... So why would you need them in the first place? But if you mm -hmm. take care of the, all the things that you need to be taken care of, uh, so why not use them for mm. additional benefit? Is that what you meant? Ab absolutely, without a doubt. You know, if someone's got a sleep problem and they're taking sleep tablets, um, I, maybe we don't know the backstory as to why they're taking them. Maybe they've got something wrong with them. But the first port of call is to maybe look at your sleep routine, um, you know, often people will take, uh, you know, cholesterol med medication, 
people will take blood pressure medication. Yes, if it's for medical purposes and they need to get the numbers down. But for the most part, those are dietary changes that they can make to their lifestyle. But the dietary changes and the lifestyle changes are the hardest part, you see. So, you know, you'll have someone that will um, continue to live the certain lifestyle they're living, but still supplement with a pill that will take away the symptoms of the lifestyle that they're living, if that makes sense. Um, mm. So it's almost, it's almost like you say, it's like a crutch, it's like a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid for the lifestyle they want. They don't want to, they don't want to give up on the lifestyle that they're living. So it's just easier for them to just take a pull and just go, yeah, now I can go and eat whatever I want. Yeah, the lifestyle changes can be one of the most scariest things uh, out there. And on that note, uh, I would love to wrap up the podcast here and ask one of the final questions I love to ask. And it's about the title of your stress. What do you make of it? Um, Tom's, I love that title. I think it's, um, like I said at the beginning, is pressure is a privilege to some degree. I think uh, uh, you can put your stress to good use in good ways. I think... Um, I think we need adversity in order for people to grow. We need adversity. We need challenges in life. So, yeah, I think when you, when you said that, love your stress, I think it's a valuable thing. I think we must put our stress to good use as opposed to not being something that's, uh, that's negative. Yeah. Well, when I, um, when I say, when you say the idea about uh, adversity, I always feel like it's the same thing when you go to the gym in order to build muscles, you actually need a bit of resistance. And I would apply this for every area of life. We um, mm. decision making, nutrition, and so that's how I see the world. And one of the last questions I love to ask for you is: um, Do you have any recommendations for the next guest that you would uh, think would add value to the podcast on the topic of your stress? Oh, that's a good question. That's a very, very good question. Um, I'm trying to think. Is this someone in our circle that we know? Anyone that usually the, what I encourage my guests is to do the first uh, name popping in your head is usually the best answer because that's the intuitive one. And it yeah. uh, helps you from overthinking it too much. Yes. I think, uh, I think Sean Tucker, who's within our own circle as well, I think he'd be a good guy to come in here. I think he, uh, he also deals with, with high profile individuals that also have stress. I think anyone that's in the... You know, high-profile position within a corporate building or within their, they have their own business, I think there's always going to be some kind of stress. So I think, uh, I think you'd be a good guest for sure. Awesome. And on that note, uh, the final question to you is, uh, who, who would you like to work with and what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Uh, Tom, that's a great question and thanks for asking. I like to work with people who want accountability, uh, who like accountability, people that are 40 years or 35 years plus um, that are making, looking to make a change to their life, that have, may have let things go a little bit from their early days and they want their older their old younger bodies back and their old younger lifestyles back. So both mentally and physically, you know, whether it's a woman or a man. Um, and if they want to get hold of me, they can find me on my website, which is bradstratum.com.au. And I offer a free uh, kind of call that we can hop on and just discuss what their goals are, what their challenges are, and how we can bridge the gap between the two.
Awesome. Uh, so really, thank you, Brad, for this amazing conversation. Really enjoyed it. And have a magical day. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for your time and thank you for the opportunity, my man. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Tom's.